This is the Bartender Journey Podcast. It's the Bartender Journey Podcast number 204. My name is Brian Vincent Weber. This is the podcast that talks all about bartending and cocktails and spirits. Well, today on the show, we're going to talk to Jack Daniels, master distiller, Jeff Arnett. I met Jeff at San Antonio Cocktail Conference. First, let's do a cocktail of the week. Well, it's St. Patrick's Day coming up as I record this, and St. Patrick's Day is on a Friday this year. Oh boy, I'm scared. Uh, well, I've been uh, trying to come up with some sort of cool and sophisticated cocktails for St. Patrick's Day, and I uh, came up with this one. I'm going to make it on, on St. Patrick's Day. Uh, I first called it the Emerald, Emerald, not Emerald. Emerald Sour, but uh, after, after hanging out with my friend Hazel yesterday and describing the drink to uh, to her and, and an awesome bartender named Carl at Swift Hiberian Lounge yesterday, it was decided that the name would be changed to Man in the High Castle, which is the name of a book that Carl had just finished. I haven't read it myself. Uh, it's a novel, I guess. And uh, there's also a show on TV, the, the uh, Amazon Prime, that has the same name, and I haven't seen it either, but I think they have the same name, so I'm a little confused about that. Uh, I don't think they're related, or are they? I don't know. I'm going to have to go back to Swift Tiberian Lounge to sort it out. Any excuse, any excuse to go to Swift. I love that bar. So anyway, here's my recipe for Man in the High Castle. Two ounces Napog Castle 12-year-old Irish whiskey. One ounce Myers lemon juice. And three quarters of an ounce of Myers lemon oleosaccharum syrup, which sounds really fancy and complicated, but it's super easy. I'm going to tell you how to make it in a minute. And the last thing I put in there, I, I felt like it needed a little briny quality of some sort to it. Uh, I put a little salt in there, and it really, uh, really helped. So uh, we'll take all that. We'll shake it with ice, strain it into an old-fashioned glass containing fresh ice. And I garnished it with a Myers lemon twist and a sprig of fresh thyme, which uh, gets a little smack to open up the aromatics. Normally, I don't like to use a garnish that isn't somebody somehow incorporated into the drink, but wake, by waking up the, the smells of the fresh herb, it really does add to the drink. Plus, it's green, and it's St. Patrick's Day. Green is required. And by the way, if you don't have Myers lemons, you can use regular ones. The chef at work handed me a bunch of Myers lemons last weekend, and uh, he said, do something with these. They're beautiful, and they're in season right now. So, And they are delicious, and they are beautiful, I must say. So to make the Myers lemon oleosaccharum syrup, peel two lemons before you juice them, and use a Y peeler to, to uh, try to get only the yellow, as little of the white pith as you can. So take the, uh, the lime, the lemon zest, and put them in a sealable container, or better yet, if you have a vacuum sealer, uh, put them in the vacuum sealer bag. Cover them up with half, half a cup of sugar, just regular granulated sugar. Uh, if you're using the vacuum sealer, seal it up. Otherwise, cover tightly and let this sit for at least four hours at room temperature. You could even let it go overnight. And then you add half a cup of warm water to and stir to dissolve everything and use a fine strainer and discard all the solids. Oleosaccharum is awesome. It's so delicious and it's so easy to make. And if you're juicing fresh citrus, you may be throwing all that uh, zest away anyway, so why not make something out of it? It's great. You can do it with uh, grapefruit, which is amazing. Uh, I even did it with limes, and uh, I used it to make Cosmos, and they, they came out really good. The guests really dug them. Oleosaccharum, by the way, means oil sugar, and that's what it is. The oils from the zest or the uh, citrus peels come out and mix with the sugar and make this delicious stuff. All right, how about a book of the week? It's 
a spot at the bar. Welcome to the Everly, the art of good drinking in 300 recipes by Michael Madrison and Zara Young. Michael's bar, the Everly, is in Melbourne, Australia. He studied under Sasha Petrosky and worked at the original Milk and Honey in New York City. His uh, his goal with Everly was to bring Milk and Honey to, to, well, bring the concept to Australia. In fact, Sasha was his business partner on this venture. As you probably know, Sasha left this world way too early in August 2015, but Sasha inspired an entire generation of bartenders. Not only those who were trained by him, but many like myself who never had the opportunity to work with him uh, also benefited from his uh, leadership and his vision. This book, A Spot at the Bar, is another wonderful offshoot of Sasha's legacy. There's tons of great recipes in here, uh, 300 to be exact, apparently, according to the title. Uh, Great photos, but there's lots of other useful stuff in here, too, like an entire section on bartender's choice. This can be challenging for a bartender. I I find it tricky when somebody comes up and like, I don't really know what I want. And, and, you know, so now you have to kind of start asking questions, right? Uh, In the book, Michael talks about how to do it best. It's a procedure, really. And I've heard other um, milk and honey bartenders talk about this as well. Uh, There's there's a series of questions you ask uh, in a certain sequence to figure out what the guest is going to like. And the, the last one is, how do you like it? And if they don't like it, take it away, make them something else. So, uh, yeah, Bartender's Choice is great. Um, there's like four pages uh, in the book about that. So that that alone is worth buying the book. And, uh, of course, we'll have a link up on bartenderjourney.net uh, to it, uh, to an Amazon link to uh, so you can buy this book. Uh, Michael said in the book that Sasha taught his students that working hard behind the scenes allows you to look effortless in front of your guests. Wise words from a wise man. We'll talk with Jeff Arnett, Master Distiller at Jack Daniels in just a minute. But first, I want to tell you about a great educational opportunity for you. The Cocktails in the Country is a great experience. I did it last summer, and it's run by who I call the Yoda of bartending, Gary Gaz Regan. I teach about mindful bartending, uh, but when it comes to mixology, 21st century bartenders, I'm better off letting them teach each other than me trying to teach them 1970s bartending. The hospitality is so important. Yeah, absolutely. Fact is, anybody can make a decent martini or a Manhattan, can teach them in five minutes how to make that, learning how to deal with your co-workers and with uh, your guests is a skill that has to be uh, learned to some extent. Yeah, it takes a little, um, well, it takes a little mindfulness, as you would say. That's exactly what it takes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I got an email from Gaz today, and we have a discount code for you. It normally costs $250, but I'm going to tell you how to do it for only $100. It's two days of education and practical skills up in the Hudson Valley, just about an hour north of Manhattan. My favorite courses are ones like this where you actually get behind the bar and make drinks. It's the best. And included uh, in the price is your transportation from Manhattan, your lodging for the evening overnight, and most meals are included. Um, There's classes with gas and cocktail making with your nine new best friends. And the classes are limited to only 10 people, and you'll make friends for life at this thing. I'm telling you, it's it's an amazing experience, great bonding experience, and... uh, you're you're in kind of tight quarters for a couple of days, and you really get to know these people, and it's uh, but it's awesome. Here's how to get your discount: write to Gaz directly at Gaz Regan, so it's G A Z R E G A N at gmail.com. Put the code buy back, so in capital letters B U Y dash B A C K in the subject box. 
And that's it. Gaz will uh, tell you how to apply from there. And uh, tell Gaz you uh, heard about it from me. CC me on the email, in fact, so I know you're going. My email is brian at bartenderjourney.net. So what are you going to do? You're going to write gazregan at gmail.com. You're going to put buy back in the subject box, and you're going to CC me on the email, and you're going to tell Gaz you heard about it from me. Got it? We'll put all that information up on bartenderjourney.net. So you have all that along with a link to the Cocktails in the Country um, uh, page, which tells you the dates that it's available. It's always on a Monday and a Tuesday, so that works out. Bartender's weekend, right? And uh, you have to be uh, a working bartender to do this, and you have to have worked in the hospitality industry for at least three years. So a few requirements there, but I'm telling you, it's well worth it. I hope you go. Cocktails in the Country has the Bartender Journey stamp of approval that I just made up. All right, let's talk with Jack Daniels, Master Distiller, Jeff Arnett. How how long has Gentleman Jack been around? Since 88. Really? Since 1988. I didn't realize that. That was our first new brand in 100 years. Uh, Yeah, so uh, we've kind of just ridden the black label thing for a long time, you know? What's the the number seven, seven indicate? We don't know. You know, that was... I'm the seventh master distiller for old number seven, and I'd only worked at the distillery for seven years uh, when I was made the master distiller. So I tell people it's a lucky number, and maybe it was Jack's lucky number too. So maybe that was, you know, whether it was a recipe number, a lucky number, or he had some other reason. Um, yeah. But, yeah but, but the brand was named. Yeah, the brand, I didn't name the brand. Jack named it. Uh, it's, it, it was at least, it's been around since at least 1904 because when Jack went to St. Louis to the World's Fair, and competed, won the first gold medal for the distillery then. He competed under the old number seven brand name. So it was the old number seven brand from the Jack Daniel Distillery. So we know it's an old brand, but why he called it that, we don't know. So, <laughs> a secret he took to the grave with him. So I, I really love to hear the story again about, we were, we were talking about earlier why Jack Daniels is not considered a bourbon. You, you, you said it could be. It could be. Actually, um, it was actually our founder, Jack's choice to call his whiskey Tennessee whiskey and to not call it bourbon. And the, and the differentiating step in his mind had always been charcoal mellowing, which that was more of a regional thing. It wasn't something that, was, that Kentucky was ever known to do. But in southern middle Tennessee, where we're located, back in Jack's day, there were dozens of distilleries located on the limestone springs there. And they all did some form of charcoal mellowing as part of their process. And they thought it helped refine, helped remove some of the bitter character, actually helped create more consistency in the product because the charcoal can absorb things that might create variability from day to day. Uh, I tell people if you tried, if you went and tasted the tap water in five different cities, it would taste very different uh, from city to city. But if you did a, if you put a charcoal filter on those five different waters from the different cities and tasted the filtered water from them, they would taste very much alike because the charcoal will address everything that makes them taste different. So I think at a time that it was very difficult to make a consistent whiskey, that Jack figured out that charcoal would take care of a lot of the things that he simply did not have the technology or science to fix. The seasonalities in his grains, the, the open air fermentation, all the different things that he dealt with. Probably even handling the yeast culture uh, would, would create variability back then. But Jack wanted to call it Tennessee whiskey because he saw it as something different and he saw value in the charcoal mellowing process. So back in 1941, uh, Jack Daniels was actually petitioned by the, the Alcohol Bureau out of Washington, D.C. So this was the predecessor uh, to the BATF and the TTB, the, the, the agencies that, that look over our industry today. And they petitioned Jack Daniels and said, we've reviewed everything in your process, and you conform to bourbon. 
Everything that's listed in the federal code that identifies what bourbon whiskey is, we do it. Okay. So there's, there are absolutely no exceptions in our process. But this one additional step that we do changes the character of the product. If you taste it before and you taste it after charcoal mellowing, you would not think they were the same spirit. Even though when we analyze them you know, with instruments, they would see them as very similar. So we submitted those samples to the Alcohol Bureau in 1941. They tasted it and they said, you know what? Jack Daniels does not taste like any of the bourbons that we have on record. You really have a character unique to yourself. Uh, therefore, we're not going to contest your label anymore. So we, we've literally kept a copy of that letter from 1941 because agencies change. You know, the Alcohol Bureau doesn't even exist anymore. Uh, so the BATF, we didn't know if that would ever come back up again, but we want to have evidence to say, look, you've already reviewed this before and you've already, just, you've already made this decision. But I also tell people it's like the only evidence that we have that in the last 75 years the government got any decision right. <laughs> so we wanted to make sure we took care of that record, uh, that letter that they sent us. But, you know, whiskey can be made in any country. It just means that you ferment grain, distill it, mature it in a barrel. So it's this big, broad category, and it's a global category. So bur bourbon kind of tightens those, uh, that definition up. You know, bourbon has to be made in America, has to be 51% corn, has to be distilled below 160 proof. Most importantly, can't be put in a used barrel. It can only be put in a new, a virgin oak charred barrel. Uh, and there's a lot of other things that follow bourbon that you can't use artificial colorings or flavorings. It has to be all natural. So I often tell people that, that bourbon is a, is a great category because I think there's great bourbons and there's some not so great bourbons, but at least they're all natural and they're all honest uh, because the, 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 the rules around bourbon make you do everything using water, grains, and barrels. It has to be natural, but I think that's the real art uh, to making a whiskey. But Jack Daniels does everything that bourbon does. You know, we're 80% we're corn, which meets the 51%. We're distilled at 140, which is below 160. Of course, we're a product of America, so we satisfy that too. We actually make barrels for ourselves. They're all new. They're toasted and charred, and toasting is proprietary. It's something that we've patented. So that, that's two separate processes, toasted and then? Yeah, there's toasting and there's charring. Charring means you put a live fire inside the barrel and force it to catch fire, and then you extinguish it. And to me, that's sort of like taking a marshmallow and sticking it into a campfire and letting it burn and then blowing it out. Right. And because it, it alters the sugars of, of the white oak and it gives them more character, but they're largely bitter, the same way a burnt marshmallow would be. But a lot of people, if they're at a campfire, they won't stick it directly into the fire. They'll put it above the flame and they'll slowly turn it and brown it. And then when you do that, you're not charring the sugars, but you're caramelizing or toasting them. Wow. And when you do that, that's gonna taste better to a lot of people, but that's the first process that we do. As soon as we construct the barrel, we bring it into a proprietary patented toasting chamber where we use time and heat to soften the wood sugars and draw them forward and caramelize them inside the barrel. And this is where we can extract that vanilla, caramel, butterscotch range that I think Jack Daniels is largely known for. Mm -hmm. After we do that step, we go into the char fire. So we have to, we still have to char it because that's required by law. Right. But we'll just, it, but we get a much more consistent char because we've already heated the barrel up. In the, in the toasting chamber, so we're we're kind of taking out some of that variability. So, the barrel so enters. That happens all, all in one. Uh, yes, yes. We'll we'll come out of the toasting chamber, come down a conveyor, equipment that's specially made to handle barrels. Wow. It'll move it over a burner. It'll stop the barrel and it'll turn on the flames and it'll force the barrel to catch fire. Wow. That actually happens a little bit faster on our barrel because our barrel has already been heated up on the inside through the toasting process and it brings it up to it kind of acclimates the barrel to a set temperature. So you don't see a lot of variability about when the barrel combusts from winter to summer, whether the inside of the cooperage is 30 degrees or 90 degrees, you might see differences on when the barrel would combust. Right. Um, but because we're coming out of a toasting chamber, that barrel brings that residual heat over. 
So it allows us to make a much more consistent barrel um, by doing that. And that's one of the benefits that we have by making barrels for ourselves, that we can patent new technologies into it. And we know it's hard to, it's hard to tell if a barrel is a good barrel once it's made. Yeah. Uh, you know, you don't know where the wood has come from. You don't know if it's been seasoned properly. You know, you can open up the, the, the fill point on the barrel and shine a flashlight in there and you can see if it looks like it's been prepared properly, but you really won't know until years later if that's a good barrel or a bad barrel. And I tell people that's years too late. But that, that's what's so fascinating about the whole process to me is really interesting. Like Jack Daniels, it needs to taste the same year after year, every bar you go to. It does. But on the other hand, you know, I think it's kind of interesting, like if a whiskey tastes different year to year. You know? Right. You know, well, I, and, we're, and we're doing both. Yeah. You know, I think we, we want to be the familiar choice. We want to be, when people are out of the country and they walk into a whiskey bar and they look in the back and they don't see anything that they've ever heard of before. We want the Jack Daniels bottle to be back there as the familiar friend yeah. that they can count on. And because every drop is made in Lynchburg yeah. by us, you can trust it. It doesn't really matter where you see that bottle, if it's in the States or if it's in Africa or Europe or Asia. Or it's all the 20 same. 20 years ago yeah, or 20, 20 years, years ago. It, we're very, very consistent. We've been very consistent over time. And because we make every drop in one spot, we can guarantee you that it doesn't really matter where you're traveling to. You can grab a bottle of Jack Daniels and trust it. Now, if you want variability and you want to see that, of course, single barrel kind of fills that batch for us because even though we try to make every barrel the same, individual differences in toasting and charring will make a difference. And if you take an individual barrel from a unique warehouse location and bottle it by itself, you'll really put those differences on display. So I, I've been in a wick house where the same juice was put in a barrel that's on the bottom yeah. and then the top. I, I've tasted both back to yeah. back and they toasted, tasted very different. different. Very well, different. and we and we can go into the same warehouse on the ground floor or on the top floor the same day, come back five, six years later, the whiskey on the top floor has climbed and proof 10 proof points. The whiskey on the bottom has lost two or three proof points. So that tells you that, that being in on the same day in the same warehouse doesn't really tell you the whole story. So wait, you say that again. I was talking about this to somebody today, and, and, and I was curious because I always thought the Angel Share would... Um, because alcohol evaporates at a lower temperature than water. Yeah. So I, I always assumed the, when it goes into the barrel, after Angel Share, it'll be at a lower ABV it, than it, when it, it went is. in. And it is in Scotland, because largely because of the humidity of their warehouse. Where the hotter and the, and the drier your warehouse, humidity actually creates uh, pressure to keep water in the barrel. Oh. So if you're in a high humidity environment, it's gonna allow alcohol to escape faster. Okay. If you're in a in a hotter, uh, drier climate, it's actually gonna allow the water to escape faster. Wow. I, I, if you take the alcohol out of the picture and you put 0% humidity inside the barrel and you put 100% humidity outside the barrel, it's gonna find a way to acclimate 50-50 through right. that wooden right. because it's osmotic pressure, but it tends, it wants to equilibrate the atmospheres on each side of those barrels. So right. when if you're hotter or drier, if you're cooler or more humid, those things will influence what's leaving the barrel faster. Is it gonna be alcohol, is it gonna be water? Wow. So on our lower floors of our warehouses, it's more common to see a proof drop. We'll go from 125, we may go down to 123 or 122 uh, over the maturation cycle. On the top floor, the highest and hottest floors, we'll see it climb to 128 all the way up to 140. So it, it goes up substantially there. That's why our barrel proof, it, like the one that we have here tonight is 135. That was originally entered into a barrel at 125. So that proof rise was basically water escaping the barrel. 
Um, but that's driving that whiskey deep into the, you know, when you look at the soak lines on a barrel that's climbed that much in alcohol content, that probably had close to a 30% angel share uh, coming out of the barrel too. Uh, so even though we're climbing in proof, our angel share is great. So the volume is dropping. Wow. Um, but you can extract a lot of character from the barrel in that time. Uh, so, you know, I think our barrel proof is one of the products that we're featuring here tonight. I think it's one of our very best. For somebody who, to your point, likes to see some nuances and likes to see from differences, even in, within the same brand, likes to, you know, see this season versus next season, the barrel proof is the ultimate experience of variability because not only is every barrel different, but the proof's going to be different. Uh, so it gives you the full experience uh, of being 125 up to 140, but from a different warehouse, a different barrel, and you're going to get the it's going to be really sweet or it's going to be really oaky, but I can promise you one thing. It's going to be really something. You know, it may, it may not be one or the other, but it's going to be one of the two. Um, you know, so, yeah, it's, I always tell people, that's, I just don't want a low-character single barrel out there. That's what I look for. When people ask me, when you're looking at a single barrel, what would make you reject one? Low character. You know, I want it to make a statement uh, because that's the type of whiskey that it is, and I think it does. I think if, if somebody has tried our black label and says, yeah, I'm kind of, you know, I'm going to want something a little bit more interesting, you got to look at single barrel as your next step uh, if you want to stay with Jack Daniels. I think the rye is another great version of that, too. You know, going from an 8% rye, which is our normal grain bill, up to a 70% uh, gives you that big, bold, spicy. If some, You know, somebody has become a rye uh, aficionado, I think Jack Daniels has got one of it's it's big and it's bold, which you want a rye to be, but also polished. I describe it as being a little more polished on the edges than maybe some of the the competitors that we have today. Uh, many many of the the ryes that are made today are really more equipped to be cocktail, where they really need mixers added to them. I think that they're better equipped for that because they have some edges to them that need to be polished off. Jack Daniels really doesn't have those edges. It can be put in a glass neat by itself and consumed as is. So I'm really excited. I think as rye continues to develop, people who are trying these rye cocktails who say, I just want to try rye whiskey all by itself, uh, there aren't going to be as many of those, uh, you know, in the competitive set as, as I think that's where Jack Daniels already is located uh, for the person who's ready to just sit and sip and savor a rye whiskey. We've already got something ready to go. So, so uh, just back to uh, Jack Daniels number seven. The, uh, the charcoal filter process, yep. I, I saw a picture and I couldn't believe it when I saw it. I mean, are you really taking like lo huge logs of trees and filtering it through? We, Just describe that process for us. We, we take the hard sugar maple tree. So a whole tree. We'll take a whole tree down and we'll saw it. Yeah. And we'll saw it into about two and a half by two and a half inch sticks that are four feet long. And we'll stack 343 sticks into a rick. And a rick is a measure of wood. Most people are more familiar with a cord. Right. They'll buy buying firewood, you buy it by the cord. Well, two ricks make a cord. Okay. So we'll burn 16 ricks or eight cords uh, of hard sugar maple in the open air. We actually use our own 140 proof whiskey off of our steel to light it. So wow. we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll get out there and basically wet it down with our own whiskey and then hit it with a lighter and then light it up. Uh, we'll burn it it's down. Like a big bonfire. It is. It, look, it, it looks like pallet fire. Wow. It looks like pallets stacked up, and we, we make it where it'll collapse onto itself because you need to starve it of air uh, to make charcoal. You don't want it to fully consume, and the way you do that is um, only the outer surface is getting air, and you're, and you're starving the inner wood of air, and that's how you make charcoal in the open air. So it kind of creates its own blanket. Uh, but you hit it with water and cool it down. We can grind it down to a, a, a consistency of about a quarter of an inch, and then we'll hand pack it into vats that are 10 feet tall. 
uh, and it'll take the whiskey days. From the time it starts stripping in the top, it'll it'll take it days to work its way through to the bottom. Okay, it goes so, in, so you're making this charcoal on ahead of time, yes. but then it's not it's not still hot while you filter no, the... No, 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 okay. we'll let it cool, we'll grind it uh, to a set consistency. It takes, like I said, about eight cords or 16 ricks, um, and we'll change out two or three vats a week uh, just to kind of keep the system refreshed. Uh, but the, typically our whiskey is scattered out through about 60 or more different charcoal mellowing vats. Some are in their first few weeks, some are in their last few weeks. They only last six months, but we're tasting every vat every week to make sure that each vat is working properly. The, the whiskey that goes in the top is, is very heavy and grainy in character. It has an oilier mouthfeel. The whiskey that comes out days later is very sweet and light and clean in character. How, how many days is that? It, it takes, you know, days. It, it's hard to, to resolve how long it takes. We've, we've said at times it could take as much as seven days, but a lot of that has to do with how our stills are running. Um, but I would tell you, it doesn't have to be in there that long okay. uh, to, to work its magic. It needs to be in there uh, better than a day, uh, and it'll absorb what it can absorb. So after that, it's just kind of on a, on a free fall ride. <laughs> um, but one of the things that putting 10 feet of, of charcoal into the vat does is that you know, when a fresh vat goes into service, a lot of what happens to the whiskey happens at the surface, but eventually that charcoal begins to get uh, saturated because it's absorbing things in from the whiskey. So over time, there's a line that begins to drop down through that vat where the whiskey needs to go further into the charcoal to find unsaturated charcoal that will kind of work its magic. So 10 feet of, of charcoal is not necessarily a magic number. It was the number that we decided was right because it gives the vat life. It means that we can predictably expect that the vat will last six months and that we won't be in there having to change it every day or two or every week. Uh, so it, it allows us to kind of rotate through the vats and keep everything fresh and make sure that everything that comes out the bottom is extremely consistent. You know, I tell people, we, we, we never, we didn't invent charcoal mellowing. We didn't patent it. Jack was not the first to use it, but I would promise you after 150 years of doing it, we know what we're doing with it. <laughs> and, and we know how to accomplish what we want to accomplish out of it. Uh, so everything that we do around charcoal mellowing is very deliberate. Uh, it's been driven by years of us tasting it, knowing what the product should taste like, and getting the best out of it. Um, but we spend well more than a, a million dollars buying hard sugar maple, replacing it in our process. So this is a very premium step. It's something that bourbons don't do, and it's one of the things that makes Jack Daniels a premium product. It seems like a lot of work. <laughs> it, is, it, it is a lot of work. And materials. It is. Uh, you know, one of the things that we've learned, though, is that we have less than a 1% landfill rate. We actually were ranked by U.S. News uh, as the number one, that we're the greenest beverage alcohol manufacturer in North America. Uh, and that is not a few years worth of work. That's about 35 years worth of work on our part. So we were, we were committed to doing the right thing environmentally a long time ago. But, you know, we repurpose all of our spent grains are fed out to cattle. And, and people who live around Lynchburg who don't work at the distillery, most of them are farmers and they raise cattle. And, they, and they're able to do that off of our byproduct. Right. So they feed them our spent grains. Uh, but we, we sell off all of our used barrels to the scotch industry, so those are not never wasted. Uh, even our charcoal that comes from charcoal mellowing uh, is sold to a company that can pelletize it. Uh, and if you buy Jack Daniels smoking pellets or briquettes to use in your grill at home to cook, mm -hmm. that's what you're buying. You're actually not buying barrel wood. You're buying hard sugar maple that's been bricked because right. uh, it still can burn. Uh, there's still BTU value left there, but we, we, we try to ensure that no nothing goes to waste. Well, it's great for the environment, but it's, I mean, it has, uh, it, it makes sense business-wise as well, not to be throwing a bunch of stuff away. Well, we need, we need clean land to grow grain. We need clean water to make whiskey, so yeah. we don't want to pollute. I, I tell people that the streams that are down 
uh, that run down from, from Jack Daniels, from the distillery. You know, my home sat on it. Yeah. And my kids played in that water. So, you know, am I going to knowingly send pollutants down the stream for my kids to play in? Absolutely not. I mean, so part of this is just being a good citizen. You know, it's just doing the right things. It's having integrity. It's doing the right thing whether people know or are watching. Yeah. Uh, and I take great pride that Jack Daniels had been doing that even before I joined them. You know, they kind of indoctrinated me in that this is our philosophy, that we don't care, you know, what people think. We don't care how expensive it is. If it's the right thing to do, we're going to figure out a way to get it done. You know, we'll work on getting the cost of it down, but if it's right to do, it's right to do, and that's what we're going to do. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a great company to work for. I can't say enough good things about it. I'm honored to be the master distiller there. Uh, it was a brand that I was already very fond of. I was a, a Tennessee Squire and a huge fan of Jack Daniels, uh, even before I had a chance to come and work there as a quality control manager. So, you know, I got to cut my teeth in whiskey making there, uh, and it was, a, it, was a, it was a great opportunity for me. Jack Daniels is such an iconic brand with so much history, and uh, I'm really glad I was able to get some sort of insider information there with Jeff. As Jeff mentioned, Jack Daniels is putting out some really interesting whiskeys uh, over the last few years. The, uh, the Gentleman Jack's been around a while, which is... Uh, which is great. We go through a lot of that in my bar. Uh, but more recently, the rye is excellent and the um, single barrel cask strength is delicious. Hey, our toast is coming up. We do a toast every week at the very end of the show. But first, a few more things to tell you about. I hope you're subscribed to the show because we've got lots of great stuff coming up, including we'll talk to Sam Ross, another Sasha Petrosky protege and original milk and honey employee. We'll talk to brand ambassadors from Monkey Shoulder, Drambuie, Black Label Scotch. I'm hoping to get Josh Davis on the line and uh, keep the conversation going about diversity in our industry. He's uh, from USBG Chicago, and he's very passionate about that issue. So subscribe to the Bartender Journey podcast. If you have any questions at all about how to do that, you can go to bartenderjourney.net slash subscribe. You can follow me on Instagram at bartenderjourney or on Instagram, it's barkeeptips. Bar Institute's coming up uh, soon and they're doing what they're calling, it's a new thing, they're calling it the Econo Tour and it's uh, 25 cities in the U.S. and Canada in, in coming up this spring, 2017. And uh, this is this is a new thing, the Econo Tour, so they'll be in one city for one day and it's only $5. They're asking for a donation of $5 to get you into three to five classes plus a pop-up event for the evening. Along the way, they've picked social justice issues that will serve as a centerpiece of the weekly focus for each region. This is so cool, and uh, I'm so happy that they're coming to sort of mid-sized cities, uh, many of which I assume don't have cocktail conferences very often, if ever. So if you've never been to an event like this and the tour is coming near you, I really hope you'll go. In fact, uh, we're doing a little contest. If you go to bartenderjourney.net slash BI for Bar Institute, uh, that'll explain the contest to you there. And uh, we're going to randomly choose at least two people that fill out the form before April 2nd, 2017 at net slash BI. And uh, we'll send you some swag from Lush Life. Lush Life is the parent organization to Bar Institute, and they've donated some swag for our contest. This is for the U.S. only. And to get your swag, you'll have to both fill out that form and upload a picture of yourself at Bar Institute Econo and put that picture on Instagram with the hashtag Bartender Journey BI for Bar Institute. And Bar Institute also gets the brand new made up thing that I just made up, the Bartender Journey stamp of approval. All right, here's our toast. In beer, there is strength. In wine, there is wisdom. In water, there is bacteria. Cheers. We'll see you next time on the Bartender Journey podcast. Yeah,
Light it up to leave room for more.